Hey, it's good to be here with you this morning. If you're new, uh, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you joined us this morning. Uh, you can grab your Bibles, turn to Gospel of John, chapter 16. We're going to be going through verses 16 through 33 this morning. Um, if, you, if you heard some of our prayers uh, this morning concerning the McKean family, you haven't heard some of the news. Uh, it's uh, a girl named Brianna McKean um, after homecoming on a Friday night, just collapsed on the field and then died on her way to the hospital. So um, I think they're still determining uh, what happened or maybe they know or the family knows, but we haven't gotten that information. But it's, uh, it's put that community um, obviously into just a moment of heartbreak and crisis. We want to acknowledge that. And um, also given what we're gonna be discussing this morning as we're gonna see here in uh, John 16, um, we're going to just understand a little bit more clearly what, what Jesus does in our sorrow. And, um, you know, sorrow is, it, it's intrinsic to the life of a human being. Um, and therefore, it's intrinsic to the life of, of a Christian, of a believer. And it's not that we are going to, it's not that we do everything we can to eliminate sorrow, to back away from sorrow, to ignore sorrow, to push against it. Um, but it's what do we do in it? And more specifically, what does Jesus do in our sorrows? How do we respond to events like what happened to the McKean family? And we're just going to see some, we're going we're gonna to read some words this morning that's going to see how Jesus approached uh, this, this issue of our sorrows. Last week, remember Jesus pointed out that his disciples, uh, as he's preparing them for his death and resurrection... So again, remember, uh, these, are, these 12 disciples are in the upper room with Jesus. They're going through some stuff in that upper room. They're hearing some words of Jesus that are surprising them, that are, that are um, just kind of dismantling them a little bit. Um, they've seen Judas, who pulled this weird maneuver where he went rushing out of the place. Uh, and Jesus had some strange words for him regarding betrayal. And so all of a sudden now, if you're a disciple and you've been with Jesus for a few years, like things are starting to unravel and you're not really sure what's going on. And Jesus is using a lot of language about the future and it's unsettling. And last week, Jesus pointed out that the disciples, his disciples would be hated by the world and yet they would also be helped by the Holy Spirit. And we, we finish by reflecting on this truth Jesus was not worried about his disciples. He was not worried about his disciples. He was not leaving them as orphans, he said. Um, he was not leaving them under-resourced for the sorrows that lay ahead. In fact, um, he was getting ready to show them that our, our sorrow is worth it when joy is the outcome. Our sorrows, we can see them as being something that is it's actually preparing us for, for the joy, the coming joy that lies ahead. It's something to the Christian life and how we sort of step back and we understand our suffering and we understand our trials. We understand the things that we go through that, that, that everybody's going through around us. We understand it. We see it through a different lens. There's a different light that, get, that gets cast upon our sorrows. Even in, when we think about this tragedy with the, with the McKean family, and this is what Jesus is trying to show his disciples. We see in the book of Hebrews this famous passage that talks about Jesus, the writer of Hebrews. He said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So there was something there 
that went beyond just, just the, 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 uh, the trial that was the cross for Jesus. There was something there in the midst of it. There was something there inside of him that he was able to see that propelled him, and it was this idea of joy. I would argue that most of us understand this on some level. I think you understand this on some level, right? If you're, if you're an athlete, and we think about an athlete, you, you spend hours upon hours, you, you put your body through all kinds of pain, right? Uh, for the hope of, of beating your competition and getting to throw that after party, right? That's what you're looking for, right? You're, 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 you're punishing your body. You're training your body. You're not just doing it because that's enjoyable. Although I know some of y'all are like, no, man, I actually love that part. Well, we talk about that later, right? Um, but really what you're doing it for is you're trying to reach a goal where you have defeated your competition and you can rejoice in that victory, right? There's a reason why you're doing it. If you're a student, then you are suffering right now, <laughs> right? Um, you're suffering through late nights and early mornings. You are taxing your brain so that you will be rewarded someday with, with the career that you are training for right now. Really, so it can be something that you can rejoice in. We, we understand that on that level. That makes sense to us. And then yet, you know, it's interesting because we struggle to understand this when it comes to suffering and, and sorrow that we feel like we're not asking for, that, that we didn't just willingly propel ourselves into. And yet the same principle holds true in a much more meaningful way if we grasp the words of Jesus. So that's what we're going to try to do this morning in chapter 16 of John, verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So they said to him, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while and you will see me. And again, a little while and you, and you will see me. And truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Verse 25, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask a Father in your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Verse 29, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly. And not using figurative speech. 
Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. The question for us today is how is it possible to find joy in a world full of sorrow? How is it possible? I think we see three things that we're going to unpack this morning. The first one is this. It's possible if you have the presence of Jesus. It's possible if you have the presence of Jesus. Jesus assures his disciples that the sorrow they will experience at his death will be replaced with joy at his resurrection, at his coming. Jesus hasn't exactly been subtle. If, we, if you remember reading through John, he hasn't exactly been subtle with his disciples. And yet, they will not fully understand what he's saying until after his resurrection. You will weep and lament. You will be sorrowful, he says in verse 20. But this is only a temporary sorrow. What is hopeful about this is that we too have a limited understanding when it comes to what we can see. We have a limited understanding when it comes to our life circumstance. We know that scripture tells us that that God is with us, right? How many times do we say that? I hope we say it all the time. We know that Jesus never leaves us or forsakes us. How often do we say that and affirm that all the time? But all of that can become easily obscured when life's sorrows get introduced into our lives. Jesus compares the disciples' sorrow to what it's like for a mother giving birth, right? This is the example that he uses. When the baby arrives, she no longer remembers the pain. Some of you moms are like, not to contradict Jesus, but I remember the pain, right? I'm a man, so I'm just going to step back and go, that's what I'm told. That's what I'm told. The point is that the face of your baby is what makes the sorrow you endured during the birth of your baby worth it, maybe, until they're 13, (laughs) right? You're questioning everything at that point. But Jesus makes a promise based on his presence in the life of his disciples and in our life in verse 22 when he says, So also you have sorrow now but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from me. So we see that Jesus has spent all this time saying, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm leaving you with the helper, the Holy Spirit. Yes, you're going to experience sorrow. When I go to the cross, you're going to experience a very real sorrow in your hearts because it's going to catch you off guard because all the words I've been saying, you're still not grasping them. You're going to be confused. You have a limited understanding, but I will see you again. This is not the end. Death is not the end. 
It's a reality that we hold to here in the Christian life. It's a hope that we hold to, but it's a difficult perspective. It's a difficult perspective for us to embrace in the Christian life, but it's what makes our trials and our suffering, listen, not only able to be endured, but endured with a particular kind of joy if our eyes stay fixed on Jesus, right? Up until about the age of, uh, I hate even telling you this story, but up until about the age of 11, um, I, I just, I struggled with homesickness as a kid and it was, uh, it was just crippling, crippling for me. It was one of the most humiliating things I had to reckon with. Imagine being at a sleepover with your bros, right? Riding bikes, watching movies, eating pizza, and you have this kid falling apart, me, because he can't see his mom and dad for like a day and a half, right? And um, I don't know why that's still so humiliating and shameful for me to admit that to you all. Um, but imagine that kid, right? Imagine that kid, you're looking at him and you're going, what's going on? Why are you falling apart? Why so much pain? Why so much suffering? That was me. I had no friends, right? Um, but the minute I saw my parents, the minute I saw the face of my dad picking me up or my mom, it was all erased. I was just so happy. I was even able to talk about the sleepover as if it was good. It was not. It was horrible. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. But in a sense, the past two days were able to be forgotten and gotten over because of the joy of seeing the face of the people that I felt most safe and secure with. I know that's not everybody's experience. That was my experience. Whatever sorrowful moment you are in or you are heading towards. And that last thing is the scariest one, isn't it? Because a couple of days ago, the McKean family didn't know that they were heading into a sorrowful moment. And that's the thing. That's the nature of sorrowful moments. Sometimes we can see them coming. And most of the time, they just, they hit us head on. But if that's you, and you are in the middle of that kind of a moment, or you are heading toward that kind of a moment, whether you can see it or not, you can be assured that in the end, the outcome will be joy. And there's nothing cheap and pastory about saying that to you, that the outcome will be joy someday. It doesn't mean that everything's going to get fixed today. It doesn't mean that everything's going to get fixed in this life. Right? It, it, so this is not some sort of like, you know, taste the rainbow kind of a like, of a, of a theology that we follow. Right? That just says, just keep holding on because that day's going to come soon when everything's going to be right, everything's going to be fixed. Not in this life necessarily, although God gives us graces in our sorrow. But what he does is he transforms our view and our gaze and our eyes towards that which will be an eternal joy, the coming joy, the culmination of all of our sorrows, turning into something that makes it so that we can weather all of this stuff that we're going through and without discounting that this stuff isn't real because it is real. It is real. The object of that joy is not just an improved situation either because it was, if it was an, just an improved situation, well, we see what happens with situations they become unimproved. But the object of that joy is the face of Jesus Christ, right? 
So Jesus isn't just saying your sorrow is going to turn to joy, fellas, because, you know, you're going to show up. Everything's going to be fixed. And, you know, someday I'll see you again. He said, no, no, no. Your sorrow will be turned to joy because I will be there. It's me. Focus on me. Fix it all on me is what he's saying. And when you remember this, you can face unbelievably difficult circumstances. And I think it's safe to say that the majority of us are going to face unbelievably difficult circumstances and situations in our life at some time. Jesus promises in verse 22, no one will take your joy away from you. We understand this on so many like basic base levels, right? You think of all these tiny breakable devices that we rely on to provide us with reassurance that we're going to be okay, right? As long as I have my phone, I'll be fine, right? As long as I have my computer, I'm fine. As long as I have my credit card, I'll be fine. As long as my car stays running, I'm fine, right? I, ha I have a relative uh, who's staying in another country right now and um, who recently had her phone stolen from her. Uh, can you imagine that? Being in another country and like your phone's gone. Um, her, her life basically shut down for a week. This is not a sermon on how we rely on our devices too much, right? This is the world we live in, right? Um, but if we see every single solitary moment, even something like losing your phone in another country, if we see every single solitary moment as a precursor to the joy that is coming in Christ, it means that our every moment then is transformed into something holy and hopeful, right? Because we don't see anything as happening outside of the hand of Jesus who is carrying us to that deeper and greater joy. You know, when they talk about the Christian life as a journey, what does that mean? It means that, yes, you are going through valleys, you are on top of mountains, but you are being carried to a destination, to a person that culminates in joy. Jesus remains with you so that joy remains in you, even through those things, because your view and your eyes and your gaze are being transformed. Look what it says in Psalm 11. Listen to this passage. It says, the Lord, get this, tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous he loves righteous deeds. And then get this last part. The upright shall behold his face. So the Lord tests the righteous. He allows us to go through sorrowful things, to test us, to refine us. But the end, in the end, as we persevere, we get to behold his face. And that joy that we're longing for, that we may just get in little bits and pieces, that we may experience in just varying amounts through this life, it's going to come into full view. It's going to be like a cup running over for us someday. We know that our testing is leading us somewhere. It's not in vain. It's never for nothing. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, if Christ is your Savior, 
It's just not for nothing. So it's possible to find joy in a world full of sorrow if you have the presence of Jesus. That's what these disciples had. Secondly, it's possible when you can trust in the promises of Jesus. He says in verse 24, asking you will receive. Why? That your joy may be full. And then in verses 26 through 28, he goes on to say, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus is not saying that he's going to stop praying for his disciples. In fact, we're going to see Jesus and his high priestly prayer next week in chapter 17. Um, what he is saying is that his death and resurrection opens a new and living way in which believers can approach God in prayer and worship, right? So Jesus was saying, fellas, you can go straight to God with all of your requests, with all of your sorrows, with all of your supplications, and God is going to hear you. He's going to receive you because you are mine, and I am the Father's, he's saying, right? Hebrews 10, verses 19, clues us into this. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence. That's what Jesus is instilling in his, in his fellows right here. He's saying, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, listen, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So because of Jesus, because of the promise of Jesus, we can direct our prayers to God. We can pray in Jesus' name. We can be assured that God will hear us and answer us. You know that God answers the prayers of the upright, of the righteous, of those who follow him, of those who have been saved and sanctified by him. He answers your prayers. doesn't always give you the answer you want. But he always gives you the answer to the question that you would have asked had you known his will completely and fully. Tim Keller said that. It always stuck with me because we, we do our best. And as we're sanctified, we pray God's will. We pray for those things that we know are within the will of God. And we do that more and more in our spiritual maturity. God grants those requests. He does it in his own timing. He does it in his own way. But he hears you and he answers your prayers. Sometimes you get a no. Sometimes you get a no. And that feels like not an answer to prayer. But a no is an answer. I don't know. If you tell your kid no and they keep coming after you, what do you say? I gave you my answer. And they're just never real stoked with that answer, are they? I know I wasn't. And I'm not stoked with, I'm not stoked with the no that God gives me. And sometimes that comes after a long time. That comes after years of praying for something. And you realize, I think the Lord has just shut that door. I don't think he's going to grant me that. Or maybe he does. But we continue to go before God. We lift up our hearts to the Lord, knowing he's good to listen to us. He's good to answer our prayer. And it's because we have access. And he promises us here that we have that access. We can draw near to God because of Jesus. And this is another reason why it's possible to find 
joy in a world full of sorrow. You have an ear who will hear your sorrows. You have a heart who will receive those sorrows. You have the hands of Jesus who delivers your sorrows to God and will someday deliver you from all sorrow. You know, inevitably, there are areas in our house that I don't know how, but they need organization, right? Um, because we let things stack up. We just let things stack up. Our garages, our closets, our kitchen cupboards, not in my house, but I mean like all of your houses. Um, for many of us, our sorrows resemble the insides of our garages and our closets and our cupboards. Prayer, prayer that is banked on the promises of Jesus is how we organize our sorrows and we find the right place, the right person to put them in. It's not because sorrow is wrong. It's not because we need to get rid of our sorrows and our griefs as soon as we can. No, Scripture does not commend us to do that. The promise of the Christian life is that although someday there will be no more weeping, our weeping in this life is one of the ways that we worship God. It's one of the ways that we understand more fully and deeply the promises of Jesus. So we learn how to lament. That's why we sing songs of confession. That's why Scott works really hard. He goes through our passages. He finds words that align with the music that he wants to present to us so that we have a time where we can back up a little bit. We can hit pause. We can offer our sorrows and our sin. Sometimes those things are all mingled together. We offer those things to the Lord. And in those moments, collectively, as a church, we're saying, Lord, we, we need you. We are banking on your promises to hear our sorrows. We are banking on your promises to answer our prayers. And he does. So we learn how to lament. And we can because we don't live as those who have no hope. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. The promise of Jesus to hear our prayers is the promise that our joy can be full even when sorrows are many. And then finally, number three, it's possible to find joy in a world full of sorrow when you experience the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus. In verse 32, Jesus lets his disciples know that, I mean, this is great. They're going to scatter. They're going to abandon him in his darkest hour. He just tells them. He says, it's coming. You're all going to scatter. It's interesting on one hand, because the disciples tell him that they finally understand what he's saying in verses 29 and 30. It's like, we got this epiphany, Jesus. Now you're, now you're talking now you're speaking to us in a language that we finally understand. But it's kind of like, remember when, when Peter tells Jesus that he's willing to die for Jesus. And Jesus goes, I get, I get what you're trying to do right now, Peter. But the fact is that you're going to deny me tomorrow. Right? It's kind of the same thing that's going on with the disciples right now. They were getting ready to abandon Jesus. They were getting ready to run for their lives. This, this scattering thing that happens that we'll see, it was actually foreshadowed in the Old Testament, right? Zechariah 3, 13, 7 says, strike the shepherd, talking about Jesus 
being stricken, and the sheep will be scattered. So Jesus was in this moment with his disciples as he's communicating all these things, as things are starting to unravel, and he says, and by the way, y'all are going to bail on me. And they just don't understand that. They can't foresee that, but he's giving them a picture of the future. And here's what I love. Here's what I love is that Jesus doesn't, doesn't reprimand them here, right? But he reassures them in verse 33 that they can have peace because he has overcome the trouble that the world brings, right? So it would have been an interesting thing for Jesus just to drill down on their abandonment, right? And to say, it's unbelievable after how many years I've been with you after I've been the best friend y'all are ever going to have in your life because I'm perfect. I've been the perfect friend. And you guys are all going to scatter. You're all going to abandon me. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that's going to look like and how that's going to go. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He shifts to something different. He talks about the peace that they can have because he understands the trouble that they are going to experience in the world. This is how it's possible to find joy in a world full of sorrow. The presence and promise of Jesus is what provides the peace of Jesus, that forgiving presence that he had with these dudes, right? He's telling them something they're going to do that for us would be a deal breaker, for us would be, we're done. We are former friends now. You, you left me when I was at my most vulnerable. That means we can't repair this anymore. And he says, no, I know what you guys are heading into. I know why you're doing what you're doing. I love you. I know the sorrow that's about to overwhelm you and overcome you. But here's what I want you to know is that I forgive you. And that you can have peace even in the sorrow and the remorse and the regret that you're going to feel for doing what you're about to do for me. Such is the character in the heart of Jesus. And that's just mind-blowing. Dude, that's just astounding what we see here. Because I just, it wouldn't be me. And it probably wouldn't be you. Let me throw you in there with me, Right? The presence and promise of Jesus, it's what provides the peace of Jesus. It is Jesus who became our, what's called our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross that gives us the assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. That, that's something that brings peace to my soul. It's his resurrection from the dead on the third day. That assures us that all he ever said would come true. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we are all to be pitied. We are all to be most pitied. That's what Paul said. Because the resurrection happened. It means that peace is possible, right? So when we have this part of the service where we extend the peace of God, we call it the passing of the peace. That's what you're doing. You're, you're acknowledging to your brothers and sisters that because of the cross, because of the resurrection, we have a peace that, again, is not just something that's trapped inside of us and we just feel so great about life, but it's like we can actually extend that. We can pass that on to another person. When they're low on peace, 
We can extend our peace to them. Because we're unified by the spirit of peace that lives inside of us, right? It's because of all of that that we can have peace when the world is being torn at the seams. When your world is being torn at the seams. When it looks like the bigger world is being torn at the seams. When you think about a good marriage, for example, it's good because it is a union that embodies the past, the present, and the future. This is what Jesus is offering us. Jesus offers us a union that embodies the past, present, and the future, right? Like in a marriage, you have security in the present because of the vows that were spoken in the past, which provide hope and peace for the future. That's not always the case, but I'm saying when we talk about an ideal, that's what it means for two people who commit to one another at this level. Jesus is committed to you at this level and beyond because it's unfailing. He's committed to you to the point where he has promised to provide you with his joy in a world of sorrow. And it's a kind of joy that acknowledges sorrow or wouldn't be real joy. It wouldn't be real joy. Joy without an acknowledgement of sorrow is just a temporary happiness. Happiness is fine. Happiness is not bad. But when we think of the difference between those two things, I don't want just a temporary happiness. I get that at night with ice cream, right? And it's real. It's significant. But it fades. It fades with that last bite. I'm thinking, man, I just should have had one more scoop and I usually take it. The second kind of joy that we want to talk about, uh, it, this joy that Jesus is offering is grounded in, in unbreakable promises or wouldn't be true and lasting joy. It can't be joy if we think there's some part of it that's going to break and fail on us, right? That's why our joy in anything other than Jesus, it, it's always, there's potential for breaking, right? So we got to back away from that. We got to consider the things in our life that we look around on that we're just collapsed into because that's a bow that's going to break on us, right? But the peace of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, it's grounded in unbreakable promises. It just couldn't provide an off, a, a, a true and lasting joy if, if it wasn't, Right? It's also a kind of joy married to a peace that passes understanding or it wouldn't be authentic joy. So the kind of peace that you're looking for is something that is solid. It's not ethereal. It's not merely a feeling, although it comes with a feeling. Feelings are good, right? God gave us feelings. But that, that it can't merely be a feeling, right? It can't merely be a feeling. I can't just feel married to Melissa, there has to be something more than that underneath it. Because what happens if I wake up tomorrow and I don't feel married to her? Well, probably won't stay the pastor of this church very long, you know. Our sorrows can be faced because they've been faced by Jesus. And we're getting closer to the day when we will see him face to face and our sorrows will be seen in light of eternity with him and everything changes. It makes everything that you are facing now face a bull. Even when things are looking so dark, 
even when things are at a moment where you feel like, I don't know that I can do this much longer. And then you remember Jesus. You remember what he faced. You remember the sorrow that he endured. You remember what's coming. And it allows you to endure in a different way because you have something bankable. Let me finish reading a few scriptures here for your encouragement. Then we're going to pray. Psalm 56, 8. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? The psalmist writes. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. It's not the kind of tower that anybody can break down. So we run to it. Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope, that kind of hope, Paul is saying, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we, have, we can have the kind of joy Jesus is talking about because it's undergirded by a particular kind of hope. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God does this thing to us in that he gives us a particular kind of comfort that doesn't just end with us. It's not just existing in our hearts, but it gets to get extended to other people so that they can experience the comfort that they may not have or have the ability to grasp and we say, here, let me comfort you with the comfort of Christ. And finally, Revelation 21, 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, crying, or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's what Jesus was promising these disciples who were on the edge of the darkest night the world has ever known. How much more when we are on the edge of the darkest nights we have ever known. So we want to meditate on these truths with the mind that God has given to us. We want to treasure these truths with the heart that God has given us. We want to live out these truths with the hands God has given us because Jesus is where joy is found in a world full of sorrow. He is our hope and our peace. Amen. Can I pray? Lord, we thank you for this joy, Lord, this joy that we know is coming, this joy that we have when we fix our eyes and our focus on you in the midst of our sorrows. 
Lord, it's so difficult for us to grasp when we are in the middle of situations that just have us drowning in heartache. When we think of the McKean family right now who are drowning in sorrow. Um, it's an unimaginable sorrow to lose a child. So Lord, we pray for them. Lord, if they don't know your joy, we pray for them. We pray for us, Lord, because we have our sorrows. And Lord, we want to know your joy. We want to know your presence and your promise and your peace. Thank you that you give us such a clear example of how you gave this to your disciples, these fragile, feeble men who were getting ready to embark on your mission. Lord, they needed just as much as we need you. And you gave yourself to them like you do us. So Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would walk with us out of the warehouse today with a renewed sense of joy that is based on those things, on presence, on promise, and on the peace that we have. Lord, we know that you test the righteous. Let us be righteous before you. We are not perfect. But Lord, as Christians, as your people, we have been made righteous by Christ. And so you test us. And our hope is that someday we will behold your face. And we can endure because you endured. So Lord, help us to endure with joy today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.